This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 3. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Welcome to a very special episode of Erasing Shame. And my name is DJ Chuang. And in this episode, we're recording live before a workshop audience during the second annual mental health conference at Cal State Fullerton on March 9th. Erasing Shame is a podcast that we launched in February of 2018, just over a year ago. And Eunice Lee and I started the first season of Erasing Shame for honest talk about healthy living, relationally, emotionally, mentally, and personally. And the format of the podcast was simple. The two of us, as co-hosts, would talk about different aspects of shame as peers, as normal people, not as professionals or experts. And we would also have special guests come on and share their own stories and lived experiences. Eunice Lee is a therapist in the Alhambra area where the population is largely Asian and Hispanic. And we noticed that in the field of psychology and counseling, that it's dominated by majority white culture, both the ones studying the subject to become professional service providers and for those seeking services. Here's a few statistics. 2% of psychiatrists identify as black. Asian Americans are three times more uh, less likely to seek mental health services than whites. 25% of Hispanics are living in poverty in the U.S. and cannot afford health care. And overall, you heard that earlier, one in five is affected by mental health every year. So some people might ask, why a podcast to talk about shame? Well, the idea for a podcast came from the daytime panel talk show called The View. Anybody watch that show? <laughs> I love The View. Okay. Well, I figure if four people could talk about every could talk every day about trending topics and tropes, surely I could find four Asian American and people of color to talk about once a week something that matters. And one thing that matters is mental health and shame is a huge barrier. Researcher and author Brene Brown popularized the topic of shame into the mainstream. And she has said, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in the Petri dish and douse it with empathy, empathy, it cannot survive. In other words, if shame festers in silence, the opposite of that is to have healthy conversations with empathy and non-judgment. So a little audience participation. Why, why is it hard to talk about mental health? Just a couple of answers. There's yes. often a lot of stigma around the culture of mental health. And so you feel like you're going to be judged for something you're sharing honestly and openly with people. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Caroline. Yes. Nick. Um, it's something that makes us feel really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I think it's, it's the main reason, or it's one of the biggest reasons why I would be more reluctant. Yeah. Thank not, you, man. And a lot of us are not comfortable when we're in a vulnerable state. That's right. Thank you. It's not seen as a real or valid illness, mm. physical illnesses, and it's usually seen as someone just wanting attention. Yeah, that's right. For the recording. It's not seen as a real illness, and it might be seen as a whining session. 
And there are many other reasons as well. Here's a few other ones. We don't know how to talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. I, knew for, I know for me, as an Asian American male, it's taken me quite some time to learn, as in years, to learn how to get in touch and talk about my feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're afraid of what other people might think mm-hmm. if we were to go counseling or admit weakness. Um, it might jeopardize uh, relationships or career. Uh, we might feel we're underqualified if we're, we don't have enough counseling hours and enough degrees. And um, people are just not interested in the topic and many other reasons. Yes, mental health is very difficult to talk about. And there are many good resources and efforts to end the stigma and shame about mental health from social services, agencies, great colleges like this, outreaches, crisis hotlines, documentaries, books, and conferences like we're at today. But you know what? That's not enough. And shame about mental health is still pervasive today. Shame isn't the only problem. There's also lack of awareness and lack of resources and availability and accessibility. And too many people who struggle um, are surviving with a lesser quality of life, and some even choose uh, death by suicide. And I know what that's like because I am one who struggles with mental health. My family history started in Taiwan, born in 1966, so I'm 53 this year, and came to the U.S. when I was eight. I grew up in a traditional Chinese family, steeped in Chinese culture, living in a small town of 20,000 in Virginia. We were one of five Asian families in this little colonial town. Now, I studied computer engineering at Virginia Tech, graduated in the class of 1988, and that's over 30 years ago, pre-internet, so I'm geeking out with all the technology we have here. <laughs> It'll be so fun to go to college now. Uh, for most of those years, I worked in a variety of jobs in the nonprofit world, including pastoring a couple of churches, developing mm-hmm. software, consulting with innovative organizations, or reviewing grant proposals, planning events, and I love the idea of trying new things. But my heart and mind couldn't keep up with some of those job changes. I got stressed out, I got triggered in the year 2000. 19 years ago, my life was out of control and I could no longer function and I had to get help. Up to that time, uh, I was able to function and so I didn't think anything was wrong. And even though I struggled, uh, for example, the last semester Actually, the last year of my graduate school, mm-hmm. I lost like 20 pounds because of the worry of what would happen next because I didn't have a job. And I ne- never uh, um, wanted to go see a counselor or therapist because of stigma and what shame it might bring to my family, or at least I thought so. Um, and since that time, I've worked on recovery and managed my mood disorder. I stay healthy and do my self-care mm-hmm. by staying on medication. The tendency for bipolar disorder is to get off that medication. Mm-hmm. I see my therapist uh, every week when I can, and uh, I sleep nine hours a night. Awesome. I eat what I enjoy. <laughs> I work out twice a week at this place called Orange Theory, and I connect with friends. And Dave's one of my friends. Yes, you want to say something? Can you describe your bipolar 
Yeah, so bipolar is a, a mood disorder. So I have times when I feel really high, really energetic, I need less sleep, I have lots of creative ideas, I have a lot of productivity, I'm uh, reaching out and uh, talking with everybody I see, and that when I'm low, it pretty much looks like depression. And for me, my cycle was about two weeks high and four weeks low. Two weeks high and four weeks low. And that pattern persisted until 2017. And then in 2017, I had an episode because I let myself go manic, which is a high, and I had a 5150. So many of you know what that is. So I had a mandatory hold in a psych ward for 72 hours. I never thought I would be there, and that was very humbling. Dave, you want to say something else? Yeah, so you described your bipolar as highs and lows. Yes. Two two weeks, four weeks. In which mood did you not want to take your medicine? Both? Oh, both? certainly during the high. Yeah. And that I, I, I was that's what I thought you were gonna say, but I wanted to hear you say Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yes, so the temptation is when a person with bipolar disorder gets on a high and actually this was my case as well. During my recovery after the episode in the psych ward, it took me about six months to readjust my medication and readjust my lifestyle to uh, be well. And uh, during the first, I think it was three or four months in, I thought I was healed. And I wanted to go off my medication and I wanted to uh, get away from therapy and, and live normal. But I think it was within a few days I realized, okay, I, I need to stay on the discipline of staying well. That um, it's a, it's not worth testing because right. I've already been uh, mm-hmm. uh, hospitalized. Mm-hmm. So that was a learning moment. And so now I've surrendered that part of my life and I can live uh, much more healthy and mm-hmm. enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Dave. Yeah, right here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so launching erasing shame. Uh, shame held me back with a survival mentality and a lower quality of life and experiencing healing had moved me beyond surviving and thriving. And so a year after that episode in the psych ward, uh, I looked for a friend that would launch a podcast with me called Erasing Shame. So we had no budget, no staff, but we said, this is too important to not talk about. Let's see what we can do with the resources that are available to us freely on the internet. Mm-hmm. And so we made the podcast available on the web. Uh, I, I'm, I have a technical background, so and that's my day job, so I can build a website pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I figure out how to connect it to iTunes, put it on Facebook, and put it on YouTube mm-hmm. so that people can be reached far and wide. Mm-hmm. But we don't have budget, um, and that's okay. Uh, things are free on the internet. I want to make it uh, freely available using keywords and some strategies. And good friends like you that will share share it with a friend or share it with a family member or schoolmate, because this is a conversation starter. And I'm going to share with you an example of exactly how that happened later. Um, my aim uh, with this podcast is when I was struggling. I had a difficult time finding resources for myself. Um, healthcare is expensive. 
the outreaches with conferences and seminars and documentary. They come around once a year, once a quarter maybe, and sometimes it doesn't work with my schedule. Support groups were hard to get to, and surfing the internet, um, you get a lot of mixed messages and <coughs> sensational stories, but I wished there was something that I could connect with on a regular basis, like a podcast, some people that I could relate to, and as I get comfortable, I could reach out. And so the image I have in my mind is someone who's struggling with shame or mental illness. They're probably by themselves in their bedroom, the door's closed, they can't talk to their parents, and they don't know where to turn to help for help. But they're probably surfing the internet and browsing social media. And if we can help that one person, reach that one person, it's been worth it. And so we've uh, produced 40 episodes last year, uh, almost every week. And uh, what's amazing about technology, you can post something online in the public and it, it can reach the ends of the world. And so that's why I'm live streaming so that other people, there's going to be more people that hear this presentation than all of you in the room. So, but thank you for being the live audience and participating. So let, let me share a few clips. Um, this first clip, let me set that up, uh, is with Eunice Lee, my first co-host, and she shares a, a example uh, from her own story of experiencing shame. Yeah. How about you? I think for me, well, um, it's for me, it was never the big things that have caused me. Like I remember in 10th grade, um, I was, I can't believe I'm sharing the story, but I was, I was talking in an English class about my future. And I was saying I was going to be a psychologist and talking about um, some of the needs that we have. Like uh, there's like a hierarchy of needs triangle. You can look it up online. But anyways, instead of saying self-actualization, I accidentally said sex and it was super embarrassing. <laughs> oh my. Um, but you know, that's not what was embarrassing. That wasn't shameful to me. That was just embarrassing. And it was like, okay, that's, you know, that's embarrassing, but it, it would be universally embarrassing. So I could laugh it off. But I remember this one moment of shame when I was like six or seven, I went to the grocery store and I realized that I was wearing uh, pajama pants as hmm. instead of regular pants. Oh, you're and a trendsetter. So yeah. <laughs> well, you know, now it would be fine. But back then it was like, oh my gosh, what do people see? And then we saw some family friends and I was like, mom, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And of course, the first thing she said is, oh, Eunice is wearing her pajama pants. And then they laughed at me. And then she said, she also wanted me not to say anything. And I just remember feeling this kind of like shut down of like, mm. oh, I can't be different. I can't stand out. I can't ever do anything wrong. Because the moment that I do, it just, it was like, when you, when you hit water on like an oiled pan, it just like kind of like, like explodes, you know, and it's like, oh, I really don't want to be um, different. I don't want to be seen for certain things. Yeah. So uh, that's episode one. You're welcome to uh, go to youracingshame.com and watch the rest of that episode and some of the other ones you can browse through. Uh, we've had conversations about all kinds of aspects of shame. Uh, during that first season, and Eunice was uh, very gracious to roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. The technology we used for that first season was Facebook Live, mm -hmm. and so there was no editing, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of prep, but it was live before an audience. So that kind of <coughs> it's kind of like public speaking. I don't know how many of you have done public speaking, but 
you know, kind of amp that up even more. So <laughs> a bit nerve-wracking. We had some special guests come on that have done public speaking, done seminars, but going live on the web <laughs> where the world can see uh, even made them nervous. So uh, that was a fun first episode, uh, first season. And um, um, we continued. And so through a connection and through, um, oh, well, before, let's see. Okay, before um, I get into that, erasing shame, so here's how we describe it. Erasing shame is the process of coming out of hiding, hiding in the darkness, and carrying the weight of those secrets all by yourself, and finding a safe person to talk about the painful feelings to lighten your load. Mm -hmm. One author says it this this way, sharing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, this is what we're opening up when, by showing live examples of people, normal experiences, that it's okay to talk about it, and here are some ways others are talking about it. So we're help addressing that issue of people not knowing how to talk about their feeling, people feeling like they're all alone, and then when they watch our videos or listen to our podcast, they can say, hey, that's someone I can relate to. Hey, that's someone that's describing something that I can understand. So shame is a part of the human experience um, and part of our human condition. And the word erasing shame is a little misleading because we never erase shame, but we, um, we want to find a way to be provocative and to engage people with that. Um, one of our guests described shame this way, shame is everything you can't talk about. So I won't bore you with an uh, episode guide reading about every episode. Uh, but I will recommend you watching the season finale of season two, where I do a full review of everything we did that first year, including a top 10 countdown of the most popular episodes. Now, one other episode I would highly recommend is season two, episode 10, which features an interview with my friend Dave Dickin, and he's a crisis text counselor. And Dave uh, presented uh, some really valuable tips. Unfortunately, it wasn't recorded. <laughs> so maybe you could give it again sometime and record it and share it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share with you a story of what happened with that interview towards the end. So clip number two. So each season, so season one, season two, season, we're into season three now. Each season, I invite a different co-host to open up the topic of shame with me. And so the second season, um, I invited someone named Mei Li Chang. And she's a, a therapist up in Minnesota from a Hmong American background. Mm. So I'm Chinese American background. Mm. I want to find a diversity of perspective yeah. to reach as many people as I can. And uh, though we have mostly Asian Americans involved, we, we realized uh, as people of color, mm -hmm. we have so much shame in our cultures that haven't been addressed. And the more we've uh, produced these episodes, we, we've feel like shame is a black hole. It's so, it's, there's so much underneath, because we haven't talked about it, that we'll never run out of content. So I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll keep going as long as we have breath and energy. So let me show you uh, what Maylee described, uh, uh, what shame is about. Yeah, so that's what we're getting into in, in the next three or four, uh, let's see, 12 weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll also have some guests uh, talk about aspects of shame. So 
in, in that context, what, um, what do you think of when people ask you uh, the question, well, what, what is shame anyways? Yeah, uh, it's definitely very complex, right? So I think if we were to just look at shame uh, shallowly, right, it would just be, it's, it's an emotion. It's something I did and I feel ashamed of, um, but it's definitely, definitely very complex, um, especially uh, with life experiences and, you know, with the work that I do. Um, you know, and it is a human experience, right? It's not Asian American, <laughs> um, Western yes. or Eastern, but it, it's, it looks different um, mm -hmm. in the environment that we're shaped in and the culture that we're shaped in. And so I am excited to talk about um, maybe specific ways in which um, I myself, I can, I can only speak for myself, not for the whole Southeast Asian, because there's so much diversity in that as well. Okay. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, I, it, I mean, it's personal, you know, it's, it's, it's personal and it's communal. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's deep. I think if we were to really look at shame, it has so many layers, um, yes. it comes with, uh, history, with deep wounds, with, you know, upbringing, um, and to unpack that, like you said earlier, that it, it'll take forever. Right. So that's why I guess we're having these conversations to focus on, um, a little bit at a time. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's interesting because it, it, I, th I think in my experience, um, when it's a uh, toxic shame, it becomes a condition and it's, it's mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it becomes a part of you, even though it's a learned experience, it uh, somehow feels second nature. It feels like, oh, I was born with this. <laughs> I was born with shame. Um, yeah, because it, it's such a deep part of, of my culture, uh, part of who I am yeah. you know, in, in, in the whole saving face, honoring my family. Um, you know, being a female and how I should, uh, you know, uh, portray myself. Um, and sometimes the shame is mine, but it's, it's more so other people's shame upon me. Right. And mm -hmm. then I can mm -hmm. choose to keep that as my own, or I could choose to build um, maybe defenses around me to not let it affect me in, in a way that um, becomes chronic and uh, toxic to myself. And so, I mean, it, it's so complex, um, but, but that's the gist of uh, my own experiences of shame. And Thank you. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we do need to talk about it. Yeah. So Maylee and I did episode, uh, season two and had a uh, number of good conversations around that, including trauma and the refugee experience and some of the dynamics in the Hmong American community. So my first season co-host was Korean American, my second season uh, Hmong American, and then the current season with Nancy Lee. Uh, she is half Vietnamese and half Chinese. And, uh, and I've never met Maybe in person, so it's entirely virtual. Mm -hmm. Eunice, I got to meet her after season one, and then Nancy got, got to meet before season three. So. Um, uh, okay, so one more thing I'll mention, and I want to open it up for uh, interactive Q&A, because I think conversations are what helps us to begin through racing shame. So in the summer of 2018, we released a special series called Erasing Shame about mental health in Asian American communities. So you, you have cards um, from that series. And we did a collaboration with Asian American Christian Counseling Service and a mini-grant from the California Mental Health Services Authority. 
And our goal is to reach young adults in their teens and 20s with relatable stories and conversations, not lectures and talking heads. I'm over 50 years old, so I didn't think I was the right person to be doing the interviews. So I asked my 21-year-old son, Jeremiah, and to help, and he agreed to be our host. And my son was in college uh, junior year, like many of you here, and he did a good job. I urged him to practice, but he didn't want to practice, so he just went for it. <laughs> he did fine. And uh, with a small budget, we recorded 10 episodes with professional video and editing. We had young adults share about their lived experiences with mental health struggles, and we covered all kinds of uh, topics, including anxiety, family dysfunction, depression, performance pressure, sexuality, biracial identity crisis, and more. So again, these are great conversation starters, and people have shared them to help others. So I'm going to show you a clip from our most popular episode ever, and this had over 10,000 views. Uh, this is Andrew. Yeah, so I started becoming more aware of what was going on in my family and the things that I experienced as a child when about a year ago, actually, I was doing some training. I was working with some foster youth and I was doing some training about uh, dealing with childhood trauma and behavioral disorders, stuff like that. And one of the things I had read were, well, I was talking about unhealthy child, you know, settings, environments and homes. And I was getting all these flashbacks of like, oh my gosh, I think I fit into these categories. And, but I always felt like, we didn't. I always felt like everything was good. I felt like generally it wasn't that bad. I'm not coming from like an incredibly like the kind of TV show domestic violence type of stuff, but there's a lot of emotional neglect, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of um, like unhappiness. I've been around even substance abuse and stuff, but there was something that triggered it for me. One thing where I read something that said it wasn't even the main point, but it said a child when he a baby cries out and a parent responds, the child begins to learn that their voice matters. And so I was thinking about that and I got these flashbacks of when I was a kid. And I, ha I don't remember how old I was exactly, but it was some of the earliest memories I can remember. Like I was super young. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and hearing my mom crying in the other room on the phone. And I go and she's in the kitchen and I see and I'm in the shadow and the lights on in the kitchen I hear her and she's on the phone and she's arguing with my dad and saying dad or you're not being a good father your kids need you where are you why aren't you home and I don't know what's going on but I'm feeling this something's wrong something's not good and I get really scared and and then she you hear the other line go quiet and then she just stops talking and she hangs up because she he hung up on her and she just breaks down on the floor gets on her knees and starts weeping Right, trying to be quiet because me and my sister are in the other room sleeping. And I remember getting so scared and not understanding what was going on, running to my room and just start crying out for my mom, saying, Mom, Mom, Amma, Amma, come, can you please? I didn't say anything, just, but what I was saying was, come comfort me. Come, I don't know what's happening. Come tell me everything's going to be okay. And I'm crying and crying and she never shows up. And I spend maybe 30 minutes, an hour crying out for my mom to come and she never comes. And then I get quiet and I'm a little bit confused. And then I hear my mom walk down the hallway and then I hear her door close and she's in the other room. And I remember just thinking that moment, there's something so wrong with my mom, she can't come to me. And that just burned in my mind and I think even from that started beginning to realize like, 
or beginning to tell myself that my voice doesn't matter, that their needs are more important than my needs, that things are wrong, and unless people, other people are happy and okay, then everything's wrong. And you can watch that on erasingshame.com for the rest of the story. Uh, we had at least three, three people during that summer series that shared their experience of shame for the first time on record for the public. And one of the gals named um, Hannah uh, told me after she recorded that episode, she felt lighter. It was an amazing experience yeah. to just release that story. And she was ready to share it, although with some nervousness. So when you know someone that's ready to share their story, uh, uh, we have an open platform. Uh, we want to create that open space for people to lighten their load and help someone else. So by the end of summer, we had over 200,000 minutes viewed on Facebook and YouTube, over 2,500 podcast downloads, and those are still online, helping people today. Um, I want to share with you a couple comments and close out. So uh, Daniel writes in and says, Thank you for what you're doing with this blog, podcast, and YouTube channel. It is an encouragement for me as an Asian American who has struggled with depression most of my life. As a community living in the U.S., I find it so important to find safe places to share and connect. Shame can be such a barrier to looking for help. Razel writes, as a non-Asian, I can relate to this a lot. This gives me a lot of language that I need to help talk about shame. And it also helps me when I'm talking to my own therapist. Thank you for this. And one last thing I'll share. So earlier I mentioned my friend Dave Dickens was on season two, episode 10. Yeah, three weeks after that episode, Dave emails me and tells me what happened as a result of that interview. And the email read, I received a phone call from a colleague out of my Los Angeles office. He said that he needed to talk to me about something personal outside of work. So I listened as he shared with me about his 19-year-old stepson, who is having suicidal thoughts. I viewed, uh, quote unquote, uh, from, from this colleague, I viewed your Erasing Shame interview that you posted a few weeks back, not knowing that I would need to reach out. I appreciate your work in this matter and that you shared it on Facebook, a divine appointment. Mm -hmm. So that was a very encouraging thing. Thank you for sharing that with your colleague. And that's the kind of thing that we believe can happen as uh, these podcasts uh, go out. So this is something you can do. Share, share an episode or share the podcast with a friend, a family member, or a colleague. And it's amazing what opens up because of something else that you can refer to. So you don't have to have that direct com conversation because that would be just a little too much for the first conversation, right? So... Um, this one time my mom has a friend my mom lives in Rockville, Maryland I live here in Orange County and my mom who's uh, 75 or so uh, has a Chinese speaking friend who watches Erasing Shame uh, pretty faithfully <laughs> in this one episode the audio was not working on YouTube and I, I didn't check all the technical settings and, and then when I went back to visit my mom I think a month after that episode my mom's like, hey, this one episode is missing audio. You need to fix it. So 
someone who's not even English speaking <laughs> was able to help me get that episode fixed. So uh, it's amazing who this, uh, who this uh, podcast is beginning to reach. And so for us, we can be a generation that is erasing shame and stigma by sharing. And every one of you can tell someone uh, about what you experienced at this conference, and you can invite people to check out Erasing Shame podcast. The web address is erasingshame.com. Again, the web address is erasingshame.com. And I also want to illustrate that some of you can use your social media platform to be an advocate for mental health, whether that's posting a quote or image, blogging, or even podcasting. So if you'd like some help with that, we'd love to help you. And uh, before we end the recording session, uh, I'll take one question on the record, and then we'll um, close the recording, and we can have some more uh, conversations. So anyone want to ask a question for the video and the podcast? I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Great. Thank you. All right. Uh, my name is Patricia Salcedo, and um, I'm a mental illness survivor. Mm -hmm. I've... Um, made a lot of progress in the last six years and I just want to congratulate you on you know creating the safe place mm -hmm. and um, for people of color for for everyone mm -hmm. and um, I like how you're um, making space for um, other cultures that experience the same shame um, history legacy yeah. heritage whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and um, you know, my experience is the, uh, you know, breaking that stigma for generations. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. I acknowledge it. I see it. And it's beautiful that you're, um, that you're, you have the courage mm -hmm. because, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that when I got out of the hospital, I was craving information and I couldn't mm -hmm. find it. Mm -hmm. And it was, and the information I did find was in a one specific lens perspective um so now it's i can't wait to yeah. see what you have thank you and thank you. um hopefully you know um it'll also be uh, widened in different perspectives yes so thank you thank you yeah. thank you so much for the kind word very yeah. encouraging yeah, yeah. Thank you. yeah. So, if i can inspire others to Open up this conversation for not just Asian, but also Latino, uh, African Americans, singles, married, whatever different kind of issues. LGBTQ. My, very much so. Absolutely. So different languages. So it's my, uh, I've, I've committed to do this with my discretionary time to um, really make a difference in erasing shame. And perhaps one day it will be a network of things that really opens this up because as we get exposure and raise awareness in a creative way, low-cost kind of way, mm -hmm. I think it can reach so much further. I was I was just aghast that the uh, MHSA has a budget of 200 yeah. million something. I was like, so I got no budget anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Doing some good things. Okay, well, thank you for being a part of this special edition of Erasing Shame, and thanks to the Student Allied Health Student Association at the Cal State Fullerton for this opportunity to share and for organizing this important annual mental health conference. So please share with someone about Erasing Shame at erasingshame.com to subscribe to the podcast uh, on YouTube or like on Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you, listeners and viewers. Contact us on any of those 
social media networks. And this is DJ Chuang signing off, wishing you a life of erasing shame so that you can experience a healthy life of growing and thriving. Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Together, we are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Get all the details at ErasingShame.com.